congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has entered the last week of his earthly ministry. This week leads him up to the cross. Jesus, at this moment, 12 through 17, is on the way to the cross, on the way to our redemption. And on his way, there is some cleaning he has to do, some house cleaning, some spring cleaning. He must cleanse his father's house, showing us the need for reform in the church. That the church is always in need of some cleaning, of reform, self-aware. He reveals so much in this passage that we must be mindful and careful to walk slowly through these words together. Remember, Jesus is on his way to save us from our sins by going to the cross and paying the redeeming price. He has predicted this, this moment in his life many times throughout the Gospel of Matthew. He has said this is exactly where he's going. He said he would be betrayed. He said he would be handed over to the Jews and to the Romans. He said he would go through an unjust trial, that he would be crucified, that he would die, that he would be buried. But he didn't end it there. He didn't end what he said he would do with burial. He said on the third day, he would be raised. This is what's coming. This is what we're to find in the next several chapters of Matthew's Gospel. In today's passage, we have two key events that take place. And a summary of this passage is as Jesus enters Jerusalem for our salvation, he cleanses the temple and corrects the leaders. And so we'll see those two things, the cleansing of the temple and the correction of the leaders in the church of that day. Let's first consider that cleansing of the temple in 12 through 13. Jesus enters Jerusalem, and it would seem he enters or he returns to his father's house for prayer. Daily prayer took place there, but he returned there only to find that it was a den of robbers, thieves. Look again at verse 12. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons or doves. This is not the only time in the gospel, in the ministry of Jesus, that he has entered the temple and has made a demonstration of those that are taking advantage of the people going to gather for worship. In fact, in the gospel of John, not in Matthew, but in the Gospel of John, Jesus cleanses the temple at the beginning of his earthly ministry. At the beginning. This is now at the end. Mark and Luke have it at the end. John tells us of another event at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry where he cleanses the temple. And what we find in the overarching structure of the narrative of the Gospel is Jesus has a bookend, as it were, at the beginning of his ministry, 
he cleanses the temple. He shows back up at the end of his ministry and finds it once again needing to be cleaned, like some of our kids' bedrooms. This is what he's got to do. John says it this way. He tells of that first event. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. John then comments that he and the rest of the disciples remembered this from the, from the Old Testament. Zeal for your house has eaten me up. See, Jesus then refers to, in that, in that event, at the beginning of his ministry, he then, in the Gospel of John, refers to his bearing of the cross and then his subsequent resurrection. Already at the beginning of his ministry, he's saying, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die, but I'm going to be raised. But this, at this moment, John makes it clear it was over their, every one of their heads. They didn't get it. They didn't see it. They didn't understand what he was talking about. That he was predicting his death. That he was predicting the resurrection. And if we think for a moment, Jesus is the sovereign God of the universe. The Son of God, who has taken upon himself a human nature, like ours, in every way except without sin. Let's recognize then what Matthew is depicting for us. What John has showed and now what Matthew is showing, God is walking around in Jerusalem. That's what's happening. That's the amazing part of the bookends of Jesus' ministry. Every time he went there, the temple was filled with the presence of God because of Jesus. Yes, he had to clean it twice, but the overall reality is what it means that he's there. The presence of God. The moment Jesus showed up, the glory of God is found in the temple once again. You see, in the first temple, it was filled with the glory of God. The second temple was never filled with the glory of God. It was nothing like the first until this moment. Until Jesus shows up. The glory of God incarnate. The sad reality, just like you see in the Gospel of John early on, it went over their heads. The sad reality here is the people don't get it. They don't recognize it. Early on in verses 1 through 11, their, their cries of Hosanna is for a political redeemer, not a Messiah. They want somebody like, the, like all the other revolts that they've had in the past to come in and get rid of Rome. Not get rid of their sin. Not do what he's doing here. It's great he's a miracle worker, but what we really need is Rome off our backs so that we can live free. So they don't recognize him. They don't recognize that God is in their midst, the Emmanuel, that the glory of God has once again entered the temple. And he's doing some spring cleaning. Jesus entered his temple and did what the priests were supposed to do. They were supposed to remove the idolatry 
But they failed. They failed. They were supposed to remove the sacrilege. And they failed. And Jesus is doing it. He removed those who were making a, making a business of people's sacrifices. Making a business of people's worship. He declared war on this false worship. This was to be a non-profit worship service. Look what the people did. This was supposed to be a place where people could gather. It was supposed to be a house of prayer. Look at verse 13. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it into a den of robbers. Opening up verse 13 gives to us two things to consider. Two places actually in the Old Testament to consider. First, we should consider where it is written. Jesus says, it is written. We need to consider where it's written. And he's actually quoting from two different places in the Old Testament. He's combining these two passages and showing what's wrong with what's going on. And this is that combining in a sharp cut to those making money off of people's worship. First, he looks at Isaiah 56, verse 7, and I'm going to read verses 6 and 8 for context. But it helps us understand what Jesus is getting, the, the message of Jesus. He says, it's also the sons of the foreigner, the foreigner, who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds my covenant, my hold fast my covenant. Here's verse seven. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted in my on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Verse eight. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, "Yes, I will gather to him." others beside those who are gathered to him. Did you catch that? Jesus is taking Isaiah's entire context and he's reminding the Jewish people that the nations were to be a part of this worship in the first place. They were supposed to be able to gather and even make sacrifices unto the Lord according to Isaiah. According to God, he said he wanted to gather the nations. It was designed and emphasized quite strongly during the time of Christ. The temple grounds had a separate section for the Gentiles. They were not allowed in. They weren't allowed in to worship. They were not allowed in to gather. They, could, they had to stay outside in the, in the courtyard of the Gentiles. And look at what Jesus is saying. Isaiah, there's a day coming when this temple will be a house of prayer, a house of worship for the nations. And he's having to clean house. He's having to bring reform. See, congregation, this message is what will get Jesus crucified. Jesus simply preaching the Old Testament is what gets him crucified. Pointing out the unbelief of the Jews gets him crucified. 
the Jewish leaders and the people had a good thing going. They had a good business going here, making profit off of people's worship. And they did not want it to be ruined by Jesus or the Gentiles. See, the problem, though, is that they have turned away from the message of salvation, which included the Gentiles being gathered in. That's been the problem the whole time. This is why we see the next reference is Jeremiah 7, verse 11. And again, I'm going to read a little bit outside of that for context. And we'll start reading it at 7, verse 8. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal? And walk after other gods whom you do not know. And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name. And say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I have seen it, says the Lord. The combination of Isaiah here and Jeremiah with Jeremiah's words, we're able to see that the Jewish people are more pagan than the pagans. They're more Gentile than the nations. They're no longer following their God. They've apostatized. You see, the God-fearers and the proselytes were more Jewish than those born of Jewish heritage. That's John 1, and that's the entire book of Romans and Galatians. Jeremiah and Jesus are saying, you are only giving me lip service when you gather this way. When you don't repent of your sins, and you gather in and you just go through the motions, that's just lip service. That's not true worship. Or when you go in and you think, if I do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to get this. That's trying to make a profit off of the worship. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Jesus is saying that's wrong. And it's not Christian. It's not the church. Jesus is going after them. He says, you want your cake and you want to be able to eat it too. Even David recognized, if I'm going to make a sacrifice, it's got to actually be a sacrifice. <clears throat> Jeremiah says, you think you can go and worship at these pagan false god altars and then come and actually worship God? Hmm. This is what is meant by a den of thieves, and it's an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. And in just a moment, we'll bring this message home as it relates to church today. But first, we must continue to see what Jesus does on this beautiful Sunday. Look at verses 14 through 17. See, Jesus takes up the wonderfully famous phrase from the Old Testament out of the mouth of babes. And in this part of our passage, we'll first consider that Jesus has upset the current leadership of his day in the church. He's upset the elders and the ministers of the church. And then we'll consider Scripture, what Scripture says. Just like we did with these two verses, we're going to do it again here. Look at verse 14. 
And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. First of all, recognize this is the type of stuff that was supposed to be happening at the temple. Not the exchanging of goods. That could have been done somewhere else. But notice these acts of mercy. They were to be doing these types of mercy ministries. Secondly, this was a sign that the Messiah had come and that the Messianic reign had begun. And guess what? Again, just like with the cleansing of the temple, the people missed it. They missed it. It went over their heads. In fact, when John the Baptist was questioning the message of God that he had delivered to the people that the Messiah was coming and the axe was at the root of the tree ready to chop it down, he said, Jesus, are you the one? Jesus says, well, look at what I'm doing. And he quotes from the prophets this very thing, the blind see, the lame walk. People are receiving salvation. That's the messianic reign. These were the signs of his coming. But what did the people want? Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna to the highest. What they wanted was a political revolutionary. They wanted somebody to get rid of Rome. But just like we see throughout the gospel accounts, the religious leaders are upset with Jesus' earthly ministry. They're upset with what he's doing. And this, this moment's no different. Look at verse 15. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Before we move on to what they say in verse 16, Consider their response. Consider their response to these works of mercy connected with Jesus cleansing the temple. Look at, look at their response. They're not rejoicing in that the blind have received their sight or that the lame are being healed and are able to walk and be productive members of society now. They're not rejoicing. They're not rejoicing that the Messiah has come and They've read their Bibles correctly and can see this is it. This is the moment. We're going to be saved. Notice what it says. They are indignant, which means they're furious with Jesus. Furious. He is destroying. He is ruining the status quo. He is removing their money makers from the temple. He is removing their way of living if these people are healed, then guess what? They will go home. There won't be a need to continue to have them around, coming back for more and more and more. They're like the pharmaceutical companies. They were hooked. If these people find salvation, and if they're healed then they have hope. Do you see it? See, this, this legalistic religions, such as the religious leaders here of, of Jesus' day, feed 
off of others having to go to them for more work. They feed off of that like a parasite. They feed off of others going to them in order to make themselves right. Well, today you need to do this. I'll see you again in the morning. Take, take an ibuprofen and call me in the morning. You see, with legalism, the bar will always be just out of reach. Notice what they say in verse 16. And then we'll see how Jesus responds. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? You see, they were mad, right? They were mad because the people were celebrating Jesus. They were furious because Jesus was getting this attention, while at the same time, they were indignant for the message the people were declaring. <clears throat> They're no longer the top dogs. <clears throat> Jesus is the son of David. The people know it. They're crying it out. Yes, in just a few days, they'll be saying, crucify him, crucify him. But notice what they're saying now. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This message was not to be according to the religious leaders. They should not be praising the Lord because of Jesus. They have to put an end to all this because it's costing them a pretty penny, even their souls. But look at how Jesus responds. And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you not read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise? Just like with Satan, so too with these religious leaders, Jesus takes them to the Bible. He did that while he was cleansing the temple, and he's doing it here with the religious leaders. He took them to Scripture. And once again, Jesus has a bigger message in mind than just that little bitty phrase. For instance, Psalm 8, verse 2 says, Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength or praise because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avengers. Do you not see what Jesus is doing? With every scripture passage he quotes, he's ticking them off even further. They're only getting angrier. Jesus' points is that God has ordained this praise in order to silence his enemies and the avengers. God has made this happen, and the leaders are mad about what God is doing. They're mad with God. This is the message. Jesus has come for the lost sheep of Israel and for the Gentiles. He's come for the nations. And the religious leaders here, like Jonah, they're angry. They're ticked off. What do you have to be angry about? The last verse of our passage reads, And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. This simply points to the fact that from verse 1 of Matthew 21 to verse 17, Jesus has spent the entire day in Jerusalem. With the triumphal entry, going directly to the temple and cleansing it. 
staying at the temple and healing the blind and the lame. And now having this encounter, this has been an entire day in the life of Jesus. This Sunday was the grand return of the king to his city, and the people rejoiced while the leaders gnashed their teeth in hatred towards the Son of God. As we come to a close this morning, let's bring this passage just a little closer to home. Let's try. First, there in verses 12 through 13, it makes us rethink our views of worship, of what we do here. Think about it. Is this place still a place of prayer? Or is it an opportunity during prayer to fix our hair, fix our clothes, pass things around in the pews, and not actually focus on prayer? My eyes were closed. I wasn't looking at anybody. (laughs) What have we done? One of the churches I pastored had a lady that would clip her fingernails during prayer. It's a part of worship. It's not the time to find the next hymn or the scripture passage or to make sure my tie's straight. Or my slip's not showing. I don't have a slip, but you know what I mean. I don't even know if people still wear that anymore. That's not the time. It's prayer. At some point, we need to realize when we're not doing what we should be doing, we're robbing God of the glory He deserves. So what have we made this time into? Just running through the motions? Just going through the next thing? Eager to get out because we've got something else we really want to be doing today? Are you a people of prayer? Are you gathering in a house of prayer? Are you a people who desire to be in worship? Are you a people who's not satisfied with morning and evening, but you want more? Why just two? I hunger for more. All day, not just two hours. All day is the day of the Lord. That's the Lord's day. You see, we need to recognize it. As Jesus is gathering the Gentiles, you are part of this grand message of Jesus. You are what made everybody so angry in this day. Each and every one of you. A part of this message. You are the reason he went to the cross in the first place. You're the reason he still gathers people. You're the reason he still intercedes. You're the reason he died. And you're the reason he rose from the dead. Are you taking this seriously? When you gather. It costs someone his life. Are you taking it seriously? 
Are you just doing it because your parents are here? Are you doing it just because you have to? Are you doing it because if you don't, you'll get in trouble? That's not a heart change. That's called legalism. You're no better off than the religious leaders. Many have misunderstood this passage and then turned around and misapplied this passage to Jesus cleansed the temple. Notice it was on a Sunday. A Sunday. It hasn't changed yet. The day of worship, the day of rest was the day before. This passage is not talking about the fourth commandment day of rest and things like that. Many people have taken it to there. They've gone to that extreme. Jesus did not cleanse the temple on the Sabbath. He cleansed it on a Sunday, not a Saturday. This has nothing to do with that time or but rather let's recognize as this application continues, it has to deal with your heart. It has to deal with your motivation. That's what Jesus was cleansing the temple of. People were motivated by greed, motivated by the status quo, motivated by just keep on doing what you're supposed to. No, that's not what they were supposed to be doing. They turned something beautiful into something ugly. They turned something free into something that was legalistic. They turned liberty into law. And Jesus cleansed it. Secondly, we see in verses 14 and 15. We need to be reminded that mercy is the goal. It is the focus of ministry. Mercy is the reason mercy is about seeking the lost ministry is about seeking the lost evangelism is not done with having more children that's not it in fact i have found that to be one of the hardest forms of evangelism because sometimes kids act just like their rotten parents where you think they learn it from when you get somebody brand new that didn't grow up in the church, they're eager. They want it more. Because it's brand new. And it's not the faith of their parents. You see, ministry is about that hunger for the lost. That hunger for the lost sheep of Ministry is about mercy. It's about reaching out to those that are here and those that are not here. Let's not lose sight of that. Let's not lose sight of the opportunity of what God has ordained that the promises to us and to our children and to those who are far off, which could be just next door. You see, congregation, may we join in with the proper praise of Jesus Christ. 
as our Savior. Not our political revolutionary, but as our Savior. May we see Jesus cleanse us today with His Spirit and His Word and turn around and find the healing hands of mercy of our Savior Jesus. As He cleanses us, He then prepares us for each and every day. More and more willing to live for Him. May we see Jesus as our Lord and Savior and not try to find comfort in what our hands have done. But instead, may we find comfort in His hands. His glorious, redeeming hands. Amen.